Um, Lisa Keene has uh, COVID. Uh, Casey has not tested uh, positive for that, but Casey's dad uh, does have COVID. He's in the hospital in Houston. Charlie Stark. Janice was feeling better. She uh, had a bacterial infection. Now Charlie's not doing well. Carmen's here, the 18th. She's going to get some information Tuesday. So I guess we'll find out more. And when you find out, please let us know. And, uh, and so Jack Janus is home. And he had, if you were keeping a touch, that Kawasaki disease. But he's, he's home. He's better. I must be thankful for there today. Um, so uh, Larry Kalenbrink and then Mark Kirkstetter's brothers uh, had struggled with the COVID, too. I think they're both home now. That's what, they're both home. So, again, much to, just a lot to be thankful for and in prayer for. A um, lot to be happy about. Gary, it's your birthday today, right? Gary, today? And do what? And Don, let's see, Don Kirkstetter said you're 85. Is that correct? So is that, didn't, right? Amen. So does Jenny. So that's good. Amen. So we do lots of. Lots to uh, always be thankful for, too. It is good to be here. Uh, I think it's in the bulletin. We mentioned it last week. We had a great, with all the ministry folks that we supported, they really gave us an update. New information, very encouraging. We're going to partner, continue to partner with them and really be more aggressive with our relationships with them. The baby bottles are out there in the foyer. Uh, if you take a baby bottle, uh, make sure you sign up for that. And uh, it's... Uh, uh, it's the Bible, is it the baby bottle boomerang? And so I think we have what till what day, Allison, do we return? February 13th. So right before Valentine's Day, we need to have those back and uh, just fill them up with, with treasures, money <laughs> for, the, uh, for that uh, great ministry that we support there. Okay, uh, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And then go back. We are going to reference the uh, scripture reading that Paul had this morning uh, out of 1 Peter. We'll go back there. But in Colossians chapter 1, and you have in your handout that I have been referencing, uh, cross-referencing uh, those first 12 verses uh, in the first chapter of Colossians, and you see the contrast uh, between the first 12 verses in what is spiritual, biblically, heavenly, uh, scriptural versus the carnal. Uh, thinking and approach to life. This morning, we're going to deal with verse 12. I have to tell you, I'm really excited about the, the ensuing verses that really talk about the supremacy of Christ. Uh, that, the section that we're about to enter into in Colossians is, to me, one of the most magnifying passages of Scripture uh, in all of Scripture. There's a totality there. There is a... Uh, man, I... I, I Verses 13, really, through verse 23 uh, in Colossians. If you were wanting to piece the whole Bible together, from Genesis to Revelation, uh, that verse 13 through uh, 23 really is the systematic theology, the harmony of Scripture, the fulfillment of Scripture exists there in the supremacy of Christ. But this morning, we're going to end this uh, introductory statement. And so... Verse 12, I'm just going to read verse 12. Paul, if just again, reference your handout for time's sake. I'm not going to recap that. But uh, this, 
verse 12, it says, at the end of verse 11, it says, joyously giving thanks. This is the end of his introductory, introductory statements. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I'm going to read it again. Joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's the last of this introductory statement of Paul in these first 12 verses. Um, and so as you read that, I want to challenge you. The word this is joyously giving thanks to the Father, what, who has qualified us. Don't go a little further in just a moment, but just very quickly, my thought and the challenge from Scripture here, there is a statement. This is Paul, all these things he said in this letter to the Colossians, um, he, as he's about to shift gears, there's something that's supposed to culminate in your life and my life. There's something that's supposed to be happening. If you're a Christian, if you're of Jesus Christ by the will of God, if you're a saint, if you're a faithful brethren, if you all these things, if you have hope, if you have heard the word of truth in the gospel, all these statements, there's something that's supposed to happen in your life and my life. And we mentioned this this morning in our Bible class studying Jude um, for years uh, in the education process, the professors would say to us that would challenge us. It was one of those themes that was over and over again as you minister uh, as a preacher to a congregation or in missionary work. Uh, you're going to see something that um, is inherent in the body of Christ. You're going to see Christians that are depressed, angry, frustrated, fearful. Um, and then if, if we try to understand that in light of our faith. Faith in what? In who? Faith in God. Faith in his goodness. Faith in his love. So if we understand, if we believe, if we're believers of John, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're a believer, if you believe that, and you believe in the saving grace of God, and you believe in the sovereignty of God, and then as a Christian, at no matter what stage in your life, what should that look like? So I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. I've been saved by grace through faith, that not of myself, Ephesians in chapter 2. I, I believe the words of Scripture. I believe that I have been made, Romans 8, more than a conqueror. I believe what Paul said to the Philippians, I can do all things through Christ and strengthens, who strengthens me. I believe that. I believe the, the Old Testament truth that no weapon fashioned against me will, I believe these things. I'm a Christian. And yet the truth of the matter is we become fearful and we become sometimes easily overwhelmed and we become angry and we become depressed and all those things. And Paul is saying to the Colossians here, right before he's going to talk about the supremacy of Christ, the reality of who Christ is, what God has done through him, he ends this, he said that you and I ought to joyously give thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So, okay, so I'm just going to ask you, this is the question that Scripture challenged me to look at inwardly. How much joy do I have in my life? 
How joyful am I? How grateful am I? How much do I give thanks for? And where does my joy and my gratitude come from? I, I have a lot to be joyful for. I can't only speak for myself. I do. I've had many trials and tribulations in my life, but I have ultimately, I got a lot to be thankful for. I've got a lot to be joyful for. In fact, the truth of the matter is, if, if I'm honest in assessing my life, I really believe for me personally, it, it is sinful for me to not be joyful and thankful. I, I really mean that. I don't, I don't have an excuse. I don't have, you know, I think so many people in whatever the circumstances of the you know, the, the situations, the dynamics of their life, there are legitimate, legitimate reasons to be depressed and unhappy. It may even be a medical one, but there are genuine reasons that a person could become angry or fearful or distressed. Or, But I, I'm just telling you, as I read this passage, understanding what God has done for me through Christ, assessing my own life, I have to say, okay, Aubrey, What do you not have to be joyful about? I've got a lot to be joyful about. I've got a lot to give thanks for. But I only speak for myself. I will tell you, all the years of ministry, uh, sitting in that office as a preacher, wherever that office has been, what, what you begin to realize early on in ministry, and you, you realize it just through your relationship with people, but you ought to realize it just through the pages of Scripture, um, that Christians, we, we just struggle, don't we? Christians are not always joyful. Christians are not always grateful. We got a lot that brings us down, and we got a lot that burdens us. And uh, so as I read the verse, I think, okay, if I understand what God through Jesus Christ has done for me, I should be joyful. I should be giving thanks to the Father. But it's not always that easy is it because even though as I look at myself and I think you know I ought to be I don't really have a reason not to be joyful I don't really have a reason not to be thankful life is good it's not without trials but life is good I still if I'm honest catch myself thinking I'm not always joyful and I'm not always giving thanks and so what's going on there's something happening in my life that keeps me from living in the truth that I have much to be joyful for and I have much to give thanks for. Now, real quick, real quick, he, the caveat is, is that something God has done for us, he's qualified us to share in, in an inheritance of the saints. So there's, there's, the, there's the litmus test, the, the caveat. So we're going to go to that first Peter, but I want you to go real quick, Philippians, just Philippians, in uh, chapter 4, Paul makes a statement. Again, just a statement, something for you and I to think about. Be anxious for nothing, verse 6, chapter 4, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, 
whatever is of good repute. If there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things. Okay. Be anxious for nothing and be thankful. And it has to do with my mindset. So the challenge there and then the equation there is that, okay, I'm not supposed to be anxious for nothing. And in fact, I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to live with thanksgiving, letting my request be made. I shouldn't worry about nothing. I ought to just, no matter what's considered, said, okay, listen, Lord, I'm praying to you that you're going to meet my, you're going to supply all my needs. I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to make my request known to you, and I'm going to be thankful for it. Well, okay. And then, and in order for that really to happen, I, I need to change. I listen, my mind, the scripture says I ought to have the mind of Christ so that my thinking plays a role in that. I ought to think about things that are honorable, right, pure, lovely, things of good repute, excellent, worthy of praise. I, so uh, there you go, Mark. If I'm struggling with something, I have some assurance. I can ask God, say, God, I need your help. I'm making a request. And then I can have thanksgiving in my heart knowing that God supplies all my needs, and the instruction is, you, listen, you're in charge of what you think about. Everybody in this room is in charge of what they think about. Nobody else is in charge of your thoughts except you. So that's good. All right, that's, well, okay. I, I believe that, but I'm still struggling. So go to James. James, just go to James chapter 1 because there's another challenge. Now this is where it starts to really get tough. This whole idea of joyously giving, listen, I'm supposed to joy, I'm supposed to have joy giving thanks to God my Father who has qualified me to share in the inheritance of the saints. And I, I'm supposed to, and uh, I've got some instruction on how I can accomplish that. Then I have some evidence, some more information. James chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing, so now I have some knowledge. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So, okay. Ah, I'm struggling. Things are not, I don't understand what's going on in my life. Um. I can pray to God, knowing and believing that he supplies money. I'm going to make my quest. I'm going, to, I'm going to alter my thinking. It's going to be biblical and spiritual. I know what the list is. And now, if I understand joy and gratitude, it's supposed to even, I'm supposed to even be joyful when I encounter various trials, knowing that God's doing something in my life, Okay. This is all the stuff I'm learning. This is, I'm a Christian. I'm trying to learn how to navigate through this dark, broken world. I'm turning to God. I'm praying. I'm reading scripture. I'm following the instruction of God. And now I have some more information. So what I know to be true is what has been said throughout the Old Testament. What did, what did Joseph do? 13 years in, a, in, in an Egyptian prison. You read about it in the book of Genesis. His brothers conspired to kill him. They sold him into slavery. He was an honorable young man, and Potiphar's wife lies about him. If you're not familiar with that, you read the story in Genesis. He ends up in a, 
an Egyptian prison 13 years. He'd been given a, a dream of God that, that his brothers would bow down to him, and, and now he's in an Egyptian prison sold into slavery by those brothers. And years later, though, he would say, years later, in a position of great power, he would say, I understand what man intended for evil, God intended for good, that nations of people would be blessed. So he understood. And that's just one lesson you go throughout Scripture. That So as a Christian, joyously giving thanks to God our Father, who has qualified me to be in this inheritance that I get as a saint, and now living in my flesh in a bro broken world, all these things... Now, I, I get to another piece of the puzzle. That so, whatever I'm going through, I can find joy in it. Really? Okay. Well, the Scripture says it has to be true, correct? I believe it is true. But again, I don't know what trials you've experienced in life. I really do not. I can testify to my own circumstances. I know that every trial that I have gone through personally, at the end of the day, at the end of that trial, I can look back and I say, okay, God, I see it. I see it. I understand it. Yes, your will, your will was being done, and you were using me and my life as an instrument to accomplish your will. I can see that. And I can even be thankful. And I can even find joy. But going through, it's hard. It's difficult. But that's me. Now, I, I have not been in a circumstance where that wouldn't end up being the truth for me. But I know people, I know people who have had to endure some things in their life that they have not found that to be true. Not yet. I could get personal. I'm not going to do that. But there are some things that happen in our lives where if we're honest, the struggle is so immense that it, it would seem impossible to understand what God is doing through this terrible thing. It would just seem impossible where eventually I'm supposed to find joy in that. that I've not encountered that. I've seen other people deal with that. I've read it in Scripture. I'll give you an example. Jesus is going to be born. The, the shepherds would know it. The angels would sing. We just celebrated Christmas. A, a child would be born, the fulfillment of prophecy, and he would be born in Bethlehem. And there would be this great star. And, and the shepherds would see evidence of it. And the angelic host would sing. And, and then wise men, would become aware of it. And the king, an evil king, King Herod, what did he do? He tried to get the wise man to reveal to him where the baby would be born, and when it didn't happen, what did he do? He had all the male children in Palestine, two years and younger, killed. That happened. And it was the fulfillment in prophecy. You could go to Jeremiah, and in Jeremiah it said that the whole land would mourn. So I'm reading this to you. I see the challenge that Paul wrote to Colossians. I'm supposed to joyfully give thanks 
to God the Father who has qualified me to share in an inheritance as a saint in light. I, I know that no matter what's going on in my life, I can cry out to God, I can make my request known to him and be thankful, and I can alter my thinking. I know that I can look at my life, and just as James said, and I can look back and say, man, I didn't understand what was going on, but I see it in light of what God was doing in my life now, and I can, be, I can find joy in it. I'll be real personal here. You guys know it. It's the truth. I'm ashamed of it. I shudder every time because I don't like talking about it. But I'm an ex-convict. I have been convicted of a felony. I spent 18 months of my life up just north of here, outside of Lovelady, Texas, on the East Ham unit. I am deeply ashamed of that. I have no pride in that. But I have to tell you that I can. Listen, I caused my family a great deal of shame. I, I dishonored my family's name. Um, I lived willfully and arrogantly and pridefully. And I lived outside the law and I paid a price for it. But the price that my family paid had to have been far more painful. I can't imagine because that's not how they raised me. I was not the product of a dark, broken home and or a terrible environment. Nobody abused me. I was just a willful, arrogant, disobedient, sorry individual. And I paid a price for that, and my family paid a price for that. But I can look back now, and with joy in my heart, I do not say this proudly, because there's no pride in it, but there is joy in it. That because of that experience in my life, I got to spend 30 years going into prisons and jails. And we proclaimed the gospel to over a half a million people. That's a real number. It's a true number. I can prove it. Baptized over 15,000 men and women in the Lord. God has been honored through my trial, my sinfulness, my brokenness. So I read this in James, and I understand it. I read the 107th Psalm, and I quoted it this morning, where there were those prisoners who dwelt in misery and darkness because they had rebelled against the counsel of the Most High God. And he, but he, they cried out to him in their, in, in their distress, and God broke the bars of iron asunder. He broke, them, the, he broke those bars of iron asunder and let them give thanks to men for the loving kindness of God. I get this. But I still, I can understand it in light of Scripture. I can understand it in light of my life. But I still struggle as I have witnessed the lives of others, as I've witnessed right out of the pages of Scripture. Could you imagine what it must have been like to have somebody come into your village with a sword? Because that's how they killed those baby boys. A two-year-old child. Could you imagine somebody coming in to your village with your two-year-old son and killing that child for no other reason than the edict of a king who is fearful of huh, the fulfillment of prophecy that he was actually a believer in? Could you imagine that? Could you, could you imagine a scenario like that? And then could you imagine... Finding joy for in that. Could you? Because I can't. 
I know the Scripture teaches it, and I believe it to be true. But I have never suffered that way. So ultimately, 1 Peter, what did Paul read to us this morning in that chapter 1? He said, blessed, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance, this is it. Remember, I'm supposed to joyfully give thanks to the Father who has qualified me to receive an inheritance. To, now, verse 4, that was Colossians 1, chapter 12, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. And the proof of your faith, having more precious, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I believe that. I do. I believe it. I'm thankful. I'm joyful. But in order for it to really make sense, something, something paramount has to be instilled into my brain and my heart and my spirit. All those things are true. I can make my request known to God who supplies every need. I can find thanksgiving in that. I can alter my thinking. I can believe and look at the landscape of my life and throw out scripture, and I can see that God takes the trials of men and he does something wonderful with it. I believe it. I do. But there's something. I, I'm, I'm just limited. And there has to be, I want, the, I want the whole answer. I want the whole answer. I want to be able to be that person like Job who could have everything taken from him, stripped away. He was a man accounted righteous by God. And Satan challenged, he said, God, he's just good to you. He just honors you because he, everything goes his way. And God says, you can... Put your hand on him. You won't kill him, but put your hand. And he did. And what did Job do? After losing everything, he fell down and he worshiped God. He worshiped God. I'm not sure that I could do that. And not only did he worship God, when asked to give a reason for worshiping God, he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Okay. Paul would write, an old man wore out. He wrote the Philippians. He said, I've learned the secret to be content in every circumstance. Have you? See, I believe they had something in common. Go to Romans chapter 7. Piece all these together, and we'll conclude here this morning. I think there's something that this is it. For me to fully 
be able to find it all joy when I'm encountering various trials, that I'm being tested, endurance would be the result. A proclamation to the glory of God would end up blessing people. I can trust. I can change all these things. The Scripture's true, but something has to be, it's the truth that makes all the, it magnifies all the other truth. This is it. This is it. I've never experienced what those people in Palestine experienced. I've had trials. I've not experienced. I've not, I have not experienced the death of a child. I have not experienced the su a suicide in my family. There's things, limit to things that I've experienced in my life where my joy, really, I can understand it. But now here, for me to, because I have known those people. I've known them in the pages of Scripture, and I've known them personally, who have had to endure something that I have never had to endure. I've known them a handful, and they can. And not only have, have they can, but they have found genuine joy, genuine gratitude in the midst of something I've never experienced. And Paul writes about it in the seventh chapter of Romans. Here it is. This is the secret. He understood something about himself. I am convinced that many Christians, I am fully convinced that many Christians have never fully realized what Paul fully realized about himself. Now, I want he gets personal. I believe this is the most personal section of Scripture in all the letters that Paul writes. I believe this is the most personal, where he gets very personal. A great self-revelation here. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus tells, there's the, Luke tells the story of Jesus going into a Pharisee's house and a prostitute weeping and a woman of ill repute and weeping over him and washing his feet and and Simon was the Pharisee and he's really indignant. And the end of that teaching or that moment, Jesus makes a statement about that woman and what she was doing. He said, you know, a person that is forgiven much loves much and is grateful for much. A person who is forgiven little it loves just a little. So, and is thankful for just a little. Gratitude, joy, love, they're all tied together. You know, when Paul first started his earliest letters, he would say, I'm the least of all the apostles. Seems pretty, that's a humble statement. But when he was an old man, he said, I am the chief of all sinners. I'm going to read his statement, and we'll end here. This is Paul talking about himself. Verse 14. I've quoted this passage, paraphrased it many times, but there's a culminating point here that is key to you. It is the key. It's not key. It is the key to you understanding, that you and I understanding what it is to joyfully 
give thanks because God has done, he's qualified me for an inheritance. Well, what does that mean? Paul knew. Verse 14, for we know that the law, that's just the word of God. For him, it would have been Genesis through Malachi. For we know that Genesis through Malachi is spiritual, but I'm of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I'm doing, I do not understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do. Have you ever been there? Have you ever said, I'm not practicing, I'm not doing what I'd like to do. I'm certainly not doing what God's Word says, because I know it's true, it's spiritual. I'm not practicing what I'd like to do, but I'm doing the very thing, I'm doing the very thing I hate. If you've not done that in your Christian walk, if you've not been there in your Christian walk, putting your lifestyle and the things that you do and the things that you say and the way you act in light of the good spiritual law of God's Word and you hate it, you'll never find joy and gratitude. You, not, not according to something that God has qualified you to inherit. You won't do it. Not going to happen. But if I do the very thing I do not wish, I agree with the Word of God confessing that it's good that the Word of God is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells within me. That, he's saying, I, listen, I know what's good. It's the Word of God. I don't practice the Word of God. I hate that. And you know what he says? Listen, there's something in me, and it's called sin. It, it's in me. I'm not the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. I am not sure in now 30 years of ministry, it's been 30 years now, first preaching job was 1992. If you ask me to do an honest assessment of the body of Christ, in their mindset about who they are, how they act in light of God's Word, I'm not sure that it would be the majority that has ever gone through this process of genuinely looking inwardly, assessing themselves in light of what the Word of God teaches that is spiritual, and how you and I live in relationship to that. That there's not, the doing of good is not in me. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. But if I'm doing the very thing I do not wish, I'm no longer the one doing, but sin which dwells in me. I find then that the principle of evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. I wish churches were full of people that way. I really do. I really do. Because I don't see it, folks. I don't see it in their gossip, their attitude, repeating hearsay, obnoxiousness, no fear at all for what the Word of God teaches about submitting ourselves in the fear of Christ to biblical authority. I'm just being honest with you. That's a hard, listen, as a preacher, it's hard to watch it. These people have no fear of God. They certainly don't respect His Word. But you take a person like this, they will. Oh, they will. You know a person that understands this about themselves? They will. They'll be careful about what they say and how they say it and the way their mind conspires things and justifies them. It will. This man will. This woman will. I find then that the principle of evil is in present me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur 
with the law of God in the inner man. I, that, I do. It's right. But I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Wretched man that I am who will set me free from the body of this death. There it is. Oh, wretched man that I am who will free me. You know what? Again, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you as the scripture challenges me. Can you say the same thing about yourself? And if you can't, why couldn't you or why wouldn't you? What would prevent you? Instead of worrying about who's in the office up there in Washington, D.C., instead of worrying about all the corruption that's happening around, instead, you know, Paul wrote to Philippians, you better let each man work out his salvation with fear and trembling. Are you doing it? In light of what? This is a powerful challenge, but this is Paul talking about himself. Could you have the same? Could you conclude, wretched man or woman that I am, who will free me from this body of death? Now, here's the answer. I'm a joyful guy. I got up so much. I, Tammy will verify that. I don't have to be. I, I, I'm a happy guy. Now, I'm a grateful person. I don't mean that proudly. But again, I've told you, there's no really, pretty much everything that went wrong in my life is something I did. Not pretty much. I say every bit of it. I ain't got nobody to blame for all the foolishness in my life except me. I've been treated good. I've been loved. Nobody abused me. I didn't grow up in poverty. I grew up with great moral standards in my life. I listen. Now, I can see it, God working, praise God, but I know what my flesh is. And I know deep down that I'm a wretched man. I'm a wretched man. But I also know there are so many people that I do know that things have happened to them in their lives that I can't weigh it. I had never gone through it. But the answer for me and for them is right here. This is joyful, joyously giving thanks to God. This is, this is it, the key, for the inheritance that he has qualified me for. As a saint, to be a saint means you have to be sanctified. You, and the only way you and I can be sanctified, we just read it in First Peter, is by the blood of Christ. So anyway, wretched man that I am, who has set me free from the body of this death. Thanks. There was great joy when Paul wrote this. I don't believe, as he was reflecting on himself, that he was joyfully reflecting on it. I don't think. Oh, my. I know what the Word of God says. But I'm an evil man. I'm wretched. They do, but, but I believe he was joyful when he wrote this verse. I believe great gratitude and joy just flooding out of his mind and his heart and his spirit. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving, I'm serving the word of God. But on the other hand, with my flesh, I'm sin. And here it is. 
I don't care what your circumstances are in life. I don't know if you, you, you are dealing with something that's unbearable, if you have dealt with somebody that is unbearable or something. All the teaching, whether it's Philippians, James, 1 Peter, and the understanding of being joyful and grateful hinge upon this truth. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every man, woman, and child that has ever been born, at our birth we were condemned. The 51st Psalm, David said, I was born into sin. We were condemned. Since Adam and Eve's fall, all of humanity has been condemned. We have no hope. We don't know the days of our life. You may live a day, you may live six months, you may live to be 110. You don't know. The scripture says that the days of your lives were ordained before you were born. You could, you could apply that any way you want. But the scripture says you and I are going to die we're going to vanish. We're going to perish. It's going to be a breath. We're going to die. And none of us knows when. And we ought to fear God. Respect him. And the best that life has to offer me will be joyful only for a minute. But the inheritance that God talks about is Eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the promise of an eternity in heaven in the presence of God. You will either inherit that or you won't. And it won't be based upon anything you do. God graciously gives the inheritance according to his will. And his will was evidenced on the cross. If you don't know what his will is, all you got to do is look to the cross. Peter would go on to say, he said that the Lord would, that none would perish. He would not, one would perish. But perish for what reason? Because we're condemned. I wish the church really believed that we were condemned. We absolutely, before Christ, without Christ, we're just condemned. And we don't know if we have another breath on this life. And then without Christ, we're going to die condemned. And the scripture says to an eternal damnation. And we got churchfuls of people that don't even act like they fully even understand that. Grasp it or know it. I'm serious. It's a plague. Arrogant Christians. Think that they have the right to live a certain way and under a certain, and not understanding that the source of our joy and our inheritance is that we've gone from condemnation to salvation. No matter how much I struggle with sin, and I've gone long this morning, but I don't apologize for it. No matter how much we know the word of God is true, we struggle in our flesh. 
And I can tell you, there's a reason Aubrey Rogers is joyful, and it's not because of my upbringing, and it's not because of my DNA. It's because of one reason. And I would like to think that if something did happen to me that was so overwhelmingly hard that I fully understand the key. And the key is, dear Lord God Almighty, who can free me from this body of death? I'm a wretch. But thanks be to God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Therefore now there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I would pray that you live that way. I would pray that I live that way. I would pray that the church represents themselves that way. And I would pray that if you're not saved, that you would understand, you would understand that God has brought you to a moment in your life where you would understand, I'm lost. I'm just lost. I'm dead in my trespasses and sins. But God did something. He qualified me to an inheritance. He made me a saint through the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've, I'm no longer condemned. I can't tell you where I cannot think of a single situation that a man could endure that if he could fully know in his heart and in his mind and his spirit what God fully accomplished on that cross by the precious blood of Jesus. I mean that. What if we could just all live with, the, with no doubt, the full assurance that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus? There's our reason for joy and thanksgiving and our inheritance. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have taken us from the death penalty to an eternity in heaven with you. You have taken our guilt away and you have given us forgiveness and you have made us holy through the precious blood of your son. Father, my prayer is that we live with that, that we know it, that it's so deeply ingrained in us, Father, that it affects the way we think and the way we live and, Father, the way we would treat people that we even consider an enemy, that we understand the joy and the thanksgiving that comes with the inheritance that says I'm no longer condemned, but I am in Christ Jesus. I'm in your son, and he is in me. And this is my prayer this morning as we look forward to as we look forward to our life with you. And our life with you is Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and go to seven oh two. Fill my